Want to be the first to know when new Forces for Nature episodes come out? Sign up for the newsletter on our website, www.forcesfornature.com. You can find the sign-up link at the bottom of the webpage or in the About section. When you do, you'll also receive a free checklist of easy, practical actions for nature that you can start taking today. I can't wait to connect with you. Want to know how you too can be a force for nature? Head on over to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive a free guide with practical actions that you can start taking today. I'm Crystal DiMicelli, and welcome to the Forces for Nature show. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with all the doom and gloom you hear of these days? Do you feel like you, as just one person, can't really make a difference? Forces for Nature cuts through that negativity. In each episode, I interview somebody who's doing great things for animals and the environment. We talk through the problem they're addressing, the solution they have found, what keeps them going, and we'll leave you with practical action tips so that you too can become a force for nature. Today's guests are Timothy Paul and Nicole Lindsay, the founders of Detroit Hives. Their mission is to create sustainable human communities and bee populations by transforming vacant property lots into pollinator-friendly spaces. Why is this important? In addition to the important work of revitalizing the city, the role that pollinators play in our lives has a much bigger impact than many people realize. In fact, most of the food we eat relies on bee pollination to reproduce. Fruits, vegetables, nuts, even the food fed to cattle, sheep, and pigs need pollinators. Unfortunately, there have been staggering declines over the past couple decades in population numbers that scientists greatly attribute to disease, pesticides, and habitat loss. But through efforts undertaken by Detroit Hives and others, bees and people have hope. Hi, Timothy and Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me on Forces for Nature. It's so great to have you. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having us. Great to be here. So today we're going to be mainly focusing on honeybees, but it's important to note that there are between 16 and 20,000 bee species worldwide, and many of them are facing dangerous declines in their population numbers. Can you tell me what's been affecting bees? Right. Well, I would say the number one decline or issue with most pollinators is the lack of habitat. For many years, uh, we've done away with displacing our native bees, pollinators, and all insects alike by creating roads, communities, and developing freeways. And I think that the number one decline in pollinators is habitat loss. But in addition to that, of course, you have chemicals like pesticides or insecticides that pose danger to all living things, but particularly pollinators and honeybees as well. Why is this such a detrimental issue? Well, everything has a purpose on this earth. So with pollinators, they're responsible for pollinating most of the fruits and vegetables that we eat today. Yep. And so also when you eliminate their habitat, you have no place for them to live. So they're being displaced, like Tim mentioned earlier. So if you're displacing them, how are they going to survive? Ironically, Detroit hasn't been experiencing this decline in bee populations. Why is that? Right. So with Detroit, it wasn't planned. There have been some downsides with Detroit with a lot of the bankruptcies and just a lot of stuff happening with our city. 
on the down end side of things. So with that being said, Detroit had well over 90,000 vacant lots for many, many years. The, the city hasn't been able to tend to these vacant properties. And over the time, these vacant properties haven't been sprayed with any type of harmful chemicals. So it's considered undisturbed land or soil. They have tons of native wildflowers like chicories, uh, clovers, dandelions. And many of these vacant homes are abandoned. You still have perennials that are still there and they're being visited by insects and pollinators alike. That has been boosting bee populations. In fact, the, the University of Michigan, as well as Michigan State University, has conducted studies where they sought that vacant lots are the contributing factor to boosting native bee populations. And Michigan is currently home to over 467 native bees. In addition to that, a study has been done with the USDA in 2018, where they discovered that Michigan ranks number four and having the highest bee populations in the United States. Great. <laughs> That's great news. <laughs> so yeah, with Detroit uh, rebounding, there's a lot of revitalization happening in our city. One thing our organization is trying to do is maintain these green spaces uh, for all living things, for people and pollinators. So through our mission, what we do is we work to create sustainable communities for pollinators and the residents by transforming these vacant lots into educational green spaces or habitats for pollinators. Because what we don't want to do is have our city uh, be totally revitalized that we once again displace or gentrify our insects or our pollinators. So we're here to say that when people are developing communities, that we include our insects when we're developing. And so we reserve spaces for them. It's exciting to hear how great the bee populations are doing in Detroit, but conservationists can't rejoice in the boost in bee numbers when the reason behind it is so negative for the people. I want to talk about how you made it a win-win for all the parties involved. But before that, bees tend to have a bad rep, and many people are afraid of them. You used to be one of them, Timothy. Can you tell me how you went from swatting them away to creating Detroit hives? Absolutely. From swatting them away, running from them, trying to get out of the way of these insects in, in which I thought were bees were actually wasps. It all started from dealing with a cough and a cold and trying everything to get rid of this cough and cold from trying home remedies to over-the-counter medication to accidentally stumbling across local raw honey and learning about its importance. From there, consuming the local raw honey, it got rid of my cough and cold. That led me into just simply learning more about this product and what it can do for me, all the health benefits and et cetera. And that led me down a, a weird spiraling uh, road to learning how bees make this product. From there, I gained an appreciation from the product to the bees, to the environment, to the native plants, and to the whole ecosystem. And from there, Nicole, she began to see my interest. Nicole, my co-founder and partner, she began to see my interest in learning more about local raw honey learning more about honeybees and how they make this special product, but how it's important to have in cities like Detroit, especially underserved communities within our city, where we deal with food deserts or we deal with food insecurity. She made a very good suggestion that we should transform a vacant lot into an educational apiary to solve many issues in our community to provide a social, environmental, and financial impact whereby we can educate the next generation of leaders on sustainability, we can support the conservation of pollinators, 
And once again, making a win-win situation with residents by beautifying these ones that can lots to improve the quality of life for all. You mentioned that as Detroit is revitalizing, you're trying to encourage green spaces to stay within the communities. How are you able to do this? How are you able to convince developers and the governing bodies that this is important and needs to stay? Well, there's several ways. I think I'll start with the first way. We recently conducted a research uh, project with the University of Detroit Mercy, where they're conducting uh, some research focused on pollen and nectar to see if our communities are where we have our hives has enough forage or enough food sources, resources for our pollinators. If we do, then in fact, we can show that in research to say, hey, you know, our communities are providing enough food resources for pollinators. If not, we can take this then research to the city of Detroit, to other developers and say, hey, you know, pollinators are, are crucial to our food supply. And what we're looking for is more green space to support our pollinators. And, and I think the second point is what we're doing is leading the change. We're actually doing that work. So through our mission, we are in the forefront of leading that change and transforming vacant lots into green space. In addition to that, we also work with community partners that have the same similar mission in transforming vacant lots into urban gardens or into floral gardens or perennial wildflower projects. When you have uh, pollinators or honeybees paired with an urban garden, you're guaranteed to see an increase in your yield. So that means it provides food security for pollinators through nectar and pollen resources, but also in return, those pollinators provide food security for us in return of fruits and vegetables. It's a win-win partnership with pairing honeybee hives or native bee homes and urban gardens. And then we also work with the School of Public Policy with University of Michigan and making Detroit right. an official bee city. That's right. I'm glad she mentioned this, is that we had the opportunity to partner with the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy to introduce and pass a resolution recognizing the city of Detroit as a bee city. What this means is that we now have the city's full municipal support in supporting the ethical treatment of pollinators, particularly native bees. And once again, Michigan is home to over 467 native bees. Huh. Wow, that's super cool. I mean, so... Are bee cities a thing or is Michigan the first? No, bee cities are actually a thing. It's a way to advocate for our pollinators, our native bees. Um, Once again, there are over 20,000 bee species in the world. So it's a way to advocate for our, our bees. And you, as a leader or a community organization, you can establish a bee city or bee campus. That means working with a university to make your campus bee friendly or working with the city uh, municipals to make your city be friendly as well. Yep. So you have to go through the Xerxes Society, and that's who advocates for B-City USA. So you can apply through there and to transform your city into a B-City. Can you spell that for me? Xerxes. X-E-R-C-E-S. Society. I'll include that in the resources section of the show notes because that's really interesting information for people to have. So now you can't just set up hives in neighborhoods or cities even and expect people to not freak out. I can think of plenty of people who see a bee and think that they're going to be attacked and out to get them. How do you get buy-in from the neighbors? Right. So like you mentioned, you just can't, you know, especially a city like Detroit, 
you just can't come in and set up highs without involving the community support. Um, the best way that we work to get our community buy-in is that we involve them. We educate the residents on our, our mission, our project, and how these bees will create a long-term impact, how they will create an outdoor learning space for their children to learn about pollinators, how this project will help increase or help provide some pollinator support for maybe the flowers they have growing in their yard or maybe support their uh, vegetation they have growing in their garden. In addition to that, it helps provide financial economic mobility by using our honey to pair with local restaurants, by selling our honey locally, by driving more business to our community, but also improving the quality of life for the community. So being able to transform the space into a green space to make the area safe. In addition to that, educating the residents on the difference between bees and wasps. Most residents, when they hear about bees, their first, I think, uh, memory comes to them visiting a orchard or visiting some type of picnic where they were probably visited by a wasps. And we create these uh, community forums for residents to ask them any question they may have to kind of help dispel any type of myths. And that's where it all starts with education. That's where it started for Nicole and I. We didn't know the difference between bees and wasps, but being educated on the difference and learning about the importance of pollinators and their behavior patterns that fear has transformed into love. And that's what we hope to instill in the next generation as well as our, our community support. So just kind of boosting our communities by engaging them in nature. So we've been in communities where there haven't been desirable, but there's been this positive side where we have these tons of green spaces. So it allows us to be one with nature. And a lot of times, most residents, they really haven't had the opportunity to see uh, a real bee farm. We all love honey. We all love the precious product. But many of us don't know how bees make honey. And a lot of residents are interested. They want to know how bees make honey. They want to partake in honey tastings. And I think a lot of times what makes it easier is being from the community, being someone that they are familiar with and having it within their local area it's a little bit more acceptable for them to want to learn more about the pollinators. Plus, a lot of the youth that we have visit our bee farm or visit for high tours, they are very interested in learning about bees and pollinators. They're really excited to see honeybees and to ask questions and to engage. And we believe if it wasn't for this project, they would have never had this opportunity. So a lot of times people are afraid of what's not presented to them. They continue to have those same fears. They continue to have those same myths or misbeliefs until the opportunity is presented to them, for them to ask those tough questions, for them to get involved. And we create those hands-on learning experiences to help them get over their fears of the bump, a lot of the myths that they had passed on consciously or subconsciously. How long has Detroit Hives been in business? This marks our fourth year. So on May 23rd this year, Detroit Hives will be turning four years old. And have you felt a tangible change in perspective and understanding and acceptance of what you're doing? Absolutely. I I think just to be able to work with the city of Detroit and recognizing our city as a B city, to be able to expand. We started with our first project, the East Warren Apiary. Now we've expanded ourselves into 15 locations proposed or projected for this year. And we're managing 45 beehives in the city of Detroit. No one has ever been stung at any of our tours. No one has has ever been stung at any one of our project sites. And everyone's embracing the idea of bees and pollinators. 
it's become this new thing of what you desire to place in spite of a vacant lot. So I think our project has definitely took off and inspired many people to care for pollinators, inspired many others to seek beekeeping, inspired many others to create change within their own community. Yeah, and then we've also founded National Urban Beekeeping Day, which is celebrated July 19th. Why we picked July is because there's World Bee Day in May. June, there is Pollinator Week. There's nothing in July. August, you have World Honeybee Day. And then September is National Honey Month. So we want to highlight our urban beekeepers that are up and coming and highlight the work that they're doing through National Urban Beekeeping Day. In addition to doing the tours and having the apiaries and producing the honey, I've seen on your social that you also take care of hives that are, I I don't know how you would say it. Would you say hives that have established themselves in people's homes or? Right. I think you're referring to either two things. We, uh, through our mission, we also rescue honeybee swarms. So when a colony uh, begins to do a swarm. And a swarm is a natural process when the colony typically outgrows itself. We rescue those swarms and we rehome them, give them a new home and safely relocate them to one of our apiary sites. So that's one thing that we do provide for the community is rescuing those honeybee swarms. In addition to that, we also safely relocate wasp nests and hornet's nests from community residents and, and businesses locations. And the reason why we do this is that we it's, it provides us the opportunity to educate the community on the difference between bees and wasps. Many times we get calls where people say, hey, I have bees attached to my house or home or, you know, on my property. And when in fact, it's actually wasps or hornets. So this gives us an t- opportunity to educate them. But what really fueled us to focus on relocating wasps and hornets nests is that in 2020, just last year, a landscaper passed away from mowing over underground yellow jackets nests. And when uh, this happened, the media put it on the news and said that this person was stung by bees. And we knew this wouldn't be a good look for our organization. If uh, people are in the city of Detroit or a landscaper being stung by bees and you have an organization that's putting bees in communities, we wanted to find a way to change that narrative. So, you know, we sought out to find ways to safely relocate yellow jackets as well as hornet's nests by using a, a bee vac that safely sucks them in a box and we just release them into a desirable area where they can thrive. That actually reminds me of a situation a friend of mine is in. His family just moved into a new home and they have carpenter bees in their roof. And so his immediate reaction is to exterminate them. Is there a way that he could potentially... I mean, he's in Jersey, so he's nowhere near you guys to take care of it. But is there a way that he can do it more humanely than exterminating them and using all those chemicals and everything? Yeah. So it's really cool that you brought this up. You know, we're actually working on establishing our own community learning center. And one of the things that we love to include in this futuristic design is having a panel of all native bee homes built into the house. So it's, it's welcoming to have native bees into the house. And we want to create a design element that's inclusive for the home. In addition to uh, your question is like, what can he do? Let's say he may not want carpenter bees shacking up with him. Because don't they eat your house? <laughs> don't they eat into the wood of your home? Yeah, they definitely do. They're looking for habitat. Like I said, we, if we were to create 
those habitats, they wouldn't be trying to dig into our home. So, so know, this is why green spaces and pollinator habitats where they have trees and everything for them to stay. If we left those habitats for them, they wouldn't be bothering us. So what he can do, some natural solutions, is he can place up another or purchase a native bee home nearby and place native wildflowers uh, nearby to encourage those carpenter bees or any type of uh, native bee to take on that new home. And that will help provide local food and shelter for those carpenter bees nearby. In addition to that, what he can also do is uh, rub some peppermint oil, some strong peppermint oil, and that will really deter those carpenter bees, any bees, any insect from wanting to enter that home. It's a natural oil. It just doesn't smell good to them. Yeah, or like the centronella or like a centrist essential oil is also good to place there. It repels them as well. They don't like that smell. Yeah. Yeah. That's great practical advice. I'm going to relay that information as soon as I get off this call with you. (laughs) Now, can you tell me about a time when you said to yourself, this, this is why I do it. It could be a success story or a proud moment that you've had. I think it is. When I came across that article last year where they said Michigan ranks number four with having the highest bee populations and that this has been studies they started like since 2018, I think that was that that this is why we do it. This That's one of the this is why we do it because we started that mission in 2017. And of course, we're not the only ones keeping hives in the city of Detroit or in Michigan. But to be a part of that change, is, is it shows our impact. When you look at other cities that may not rank high in bee populations, but to be a part of that change, that shows where our impact is at. It shows that we're contributing to the bee populations. If the pollinators or bees is a world crisis, Michigan is playing its part in addressing that. In addition to my why or the reasons that, you know, I'll say affirm why we, why we do what we do, is really being able to reach those people that don't want to deal with bees. What some people view as the hard work. You know, it's easy to go to a school where, and this is me personally talking, it's easy to reach out to those people that are already familiar with bees, that love bees, that want to support your organization because this is such a cool idea, because they love pollinators, because they love environment, and they really are into that. But how do you reach that person that doesn't want to be outside? that doesn't like flowers, that doesn't like bugs or insects. And I think that's uh, one thing that I take, or I'll say we both take pride in, is being able to engage, reach, or inspire that person to want to come out to learn about bees, to want to plant flowers, and to want to maybe even potentially host a hive or a native bee home in their home. How do you do that? How do you engage that person? How do you make it exciting without sounding like, a professor or someone that may not be relatable to them, someone that they may not be familiar with in their community or, I mean, how do you reach that person? That's our why. That's that really inspires me in the code. Yeah, absolutely. So helping people get over their fears, open their eyes to something new that they never thought they'd be able to experience before. But then also getting recognized by certain people, like getting recognized by the city of Detroit about what we're doing, getting recognized with certain awards by certain organizations, or even being invited to speak to entomology conferences and things like that. So that kind of showed that we're going in the right direction. What you were just speaking about, it 
it's such a great example of how one person or one organization connected with all the others who are doing something have such a big, important impact. You guys, with the rest of the beekeepers and beehives in Michigan, have made it number four in the States. And that's huge. And that's so important for pollinators because they're in such peril right now. So it is quite an important impact that you guys are having. And speaking of that, diversity is vital for healthy ecosystems. Is Detroit Hives doing anything for native bee species, not just the honeybee? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Here at Detroit Hives, we do believe in bee diversity and inclusion. Um, like I said, with Michigan having 467 native bees, we wanted to create an ecological balance because honeybees, unfortunately, they are an introduced species. They're a non-native species here in this region. Ah, that's right. They're introduced, but they're not invasive. It's only invasive if you're not creating an ecological balance. If you if you don't believe in bee diversity and inclusion, all of our spaces do not serve as apiary sites or educational apiary sites that introduce honeybee hives. Some of our sites, we have native wildflowers and also non-native wildflowers that provide pollen and nectar for honeybees, but also native bees or insects alike. And also tomato plants. We work with community gardens and we have also small gardens at our sites and they're visited by bumblebees. Honeybees can't pollinate effectively a tomato plant because it requires a a heavier buzz to shake that pollen out that flower. And that's effectively done by a bumblebee. So as long as you create an environment that's inclusive for all of the things, everyone should be able to thrive. Yeah. And to piggyback off what you said, there are specialist species of bees that only pollinate only particular certain flowers. And so if we don't acknowledge them or put create them a habitat, then we'll lose those. You know, at first, people were only saying that the honeybees were the only ones that were dying. But now we know that there are native bees that are out dying, too. But it's not just the bee species. It's tons of insects that are out dying that we don't keep that some people haven't done research on. So every insect serves a purpose in our ecosystem. So if we eliminate just one of those, then it supplies food for maybe another species that we need to help something else. So if we remove that, then there's no no balance. I'm really glad that you made that very important point because some people may not realize that honeybees aren't going to pollinate all of the flowers and all of the food that we eat. Our food, like you were saying with the tomatoes and the bumblebees, gets pollinated by all different kinds of bees and other insects and pollinating mammals. So we need them for the diversity of life and for ourselves, for our own food systems. Yeah. And it's not just like for our food. It's for the food that we eat food. You know what I mean? Even if you're growing, even if you're vegan and you're growing certain vegetables, right? There might be a particular insect that repels or eats on that insect that might be eating on your spinach or something like that. So you have to think of outside of yourself. So you have to create this place for all of the things, all of the things yeah. and everyone's food. Totally. And that, that reminds me of regenerative agriculture, which I'm a big proponent of because it looks at the whole picture of an ecosystem and how things benefit one another. And yeah, but that's, that's a side note that <laughs> we don't have to go down. Now, what can the listener do to help bee populations wherever the listener themselves may be? 
what can a listener do? Listening in and want to help save the pollinators or help contribute in their own way. I think uh, the first thing is they have to see bees as people or see pollinators as people themselves. They require local food sources and also water sources too, just like we do. So what they can do is create a water source in their own home or backyard by taking a shallow bowl, fill it with some, some stones or some rocks so that the bees can safely land on. They can also plant native wildflowers in their backyard, not only to beautify their home, but also to provide food sources for pollinators as well. So by planting flowers in your backyard or by creating a water source in your home, um, that's, that's helping to provide food, shelter, and water for, for pollinators. And also using less chemicals. So look for natural ways to make your grass green or things like that. They like to have organic, chemical-free food that they go eat on, just like we do. So creating an environment that is healthy for them. Also volunteering. Volunteer to help another local organization that believes or supports conservation and pollination initiatives, whether it's a beekeeper whether it's planting trees, whether it's supporting or protecting our, our, our water or our air, just being a good steward for the environment is a good way that they can help volunteer and, and give back. Yeah, and just have the honeybee hive point of view. So like in a honeybee hive, they're a super organism and everybody plays their part for the greater good of that hive. So if somebody's playing their part to um, make sure our water is protected, or somebody's playing their part to make sure our air is protected, or somebody's playing their part to make sure our bees are surviving. Someone's creating habitats and reserving green spaces. So they're all playing their part for the greater good of our earth. So just having that honeybee hive mindset. And also, if you do have a swarm at your home, see if there's someone like you guys, Detroit Hives, that can come and take care of it for you rather than you having to exterminate them, put out all these chemicals and whatnot. Absolutely. So yeah, if you see a swarm, don't panic. Don't be afraid. Contact your local beekeeper or if you're local here in Detroit, contact Detroit Hives. We'll come out, uh, safely relocate those honeybees and place it at a safe spot for them to thrive and support the conservation of pollinators. How can people get more information about you guys? Right. So we welcome people to join the Hive by following us on social media at Detroit Hives. Visit our website at uh, www.detroithives.org. And there, if you visit our website, you can find our email there to to volunteer or if you're looking to donate to support our mission or purchase some of our products that can definitely help us further our mission here at Detroit Hives. But also share our, our posts, sharing our posts, liking, engaging with us, following us. Yeah, so. that's all emotional currency. So we welcome emotional currency, liking our page, sharing our content, just being able to pass on the education for others and get other people inspired as well. Timothy and Nicole, you guys are doing incredible work. Thank you for all that you do. You're making a difference. A study by Rutgers University found that crops are pollination limited, meaning crop production would be higher if crop flowers received more pollination. This decline in bee species is both a conservation and an agricultural issue that can have disastrous consequences for global food security and ecosystems as a whole. It may be hard to imagine that so much is dependent on these small pesky insects that we swat away at picnics, but 
at the risk of sounding dramatic, they're vital to our very survival. Fortunately, there are easy ways for us to help that begin in our own backyards. You can get started today. Don't forget to go to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive emailed show notes, action tips, and a free guide to help you start taking practical actions today. Do you know someone else who would enjoy this episode? I would be so grateful if you would share it with them. Hit me up on Instagram and Facebook and let me know what actions you have been taking. Adopting just one habit can be a game changer because imagine if a million people also adopted that. What difference for the world are you going to make today?